Jewish audio on Kabbalah.org. Rambam, Mishnah Torah, Hilchah, the laws of Mechira, selling, business, selling, buying, and so on. We talked earlier in the first three chapters that there is a point in time when the seller sells and the buyer buys, and unless they both agree to it, they cannot retract. In Torah law, that act is called a kinyan, an act of acquisition. And we learned about the various forms of acquisition of real estate. We learned about the various forms of acquisition for movable items. We learned about our sages' institution that money alone should not be good. And now we go on to say that one of the forms of acquisition could be utensils, vessels, or containers belonging to a particular person, the buyer's container. As long as the buyer has license to place his container in that particular place, it can act as a vehicle of acquisition for him. Why? Because it's my container. And the word container is an interesting word. It means it's my container. It's my utensil, it's my vehicle, whatever it is. So therefore, that is a form of acquisition. As long as it's not in a place where it's not allowed to be, or where it's not licensed to be. Which means it doesn't necessarily have to be in my backyard, but it has to be in a place that it's legal to be. Or that I can have some level of dominion. If, if it is, as soon as the movable objects that are being purchased or acquired enter, into that particular container, that is an act of acquisition, and neither seller nor buyer or donor or recipient can retract. This would be tantamount to as if somebody lifted up an item. And we learned earlier that lifting up is the best form of acquisition. Or it's tantamount to the item having been placed in the home of the buyer. But again, it has to be in a place where it belongs. But think of, therefore, clearly speaking, one's container, one's utensil does not make acquisition for him. In a public domain, I have no right to park my container in a public domain. It's not my domain. I do have a right. I don't have a right. It's a public domain. Remember, we learned earlier that the only thing that actually does acquire in a public domain is lifting up. When you lift something up, it's you. But other forms of acquisition are problematic in public domains. Furthermore, not even in the domain of the seller. My container in the domain of the seller is a problem. Because my container has to be in a domain that could to some extent be mine. Like, as we will say, the corner of a public domain. We talked about the fact that public domains have side areas where you can do business. That quiet side area, that's okay. Going back to the domain of the seller, unless the seller or donor said to him, go and acquire with this container. If he said that, then it might work in the domain of the seller. There's another method, there's another mode. If the buyer acquires the container first, he lifts it up, and then he puts it into the domain of the seller. And then he acquires the produce, which goes into this container. Being that the produce is going into the container, which he just acquired and lifted up for this purpose, presumably from the seller, it acquires for him. Why? It's in the domain of the seller. Because the seller gets the benefit of having sold this utensil. Therefore, he gifts for the purpose of this acquisition the place it sits on, so to speak. I'm sorry. He's not concerned about the fact that it's in his domain. Just as the container of the buyer does not affect an acquisition for him in the domain of the seller, we just learned. So also, the container of the seller does not ever act as a tool of acquisition for the buyer. Even though it's in the domain of the buyer. So here's a situation where the seller comes in to the domain of the buyer and they're using this container to convey. The container does not affect acquisition. Now, the question is, why doesn't the yard itself affect acquisition? Well, obviously, there's a problem with that particular setting. Okay. Now, we also learned earlier about another option. Just to review. We learned about hagbah, lifting up, which is excellent. Works everywhere. Meshicha, pulling something, is conditional. Mesira, handing over the reins, handing over the rope of a ship. That is problematic. It only works in certain circumstances. So he says, Mesira, Mesira, which is, for example, a ship in the water, which is a horse and buggy, or whatever the situation is, only works in the public domain. And in a yard that belongs to neither of them. That's where Mesira works. Handing over the rope or the reins. And presumably, we learned this from the fact that a ship is usually in that kind of a domain. But pulling something, 
Meshicha, ain't a kaina only acquires Ella besimta in the corner of a public domain, that quiet corner of a public domain. A bechaser shoshnei or the yard of both of them. Behagbo kaina bechol mokin. Lifting up acquires everywhere, and that's what I said earlier. There's nothing like lifting up because it's my space. Now the aledaber anikah b'meshicha something that can be acquired through meshicha pulling it towards you or making it move. If it wasn't a public domain, meshicha and he pulled it. Who pulled it? How the care of the buyer? Lushu say into his own domain. I listen toward to the side area of a public domain. As long as at least part of this object was removed from the public domain, Kona, he acquires it. Hey, five, trying a load. Shall pay us a produce. A load of produce. Which was sitting in a public domain. And the buyer pulled it, moved it. Lushu say into his private domain. I listen or to the quiet corner of the public domain. Conditional. After the terms of price was agreed to, agreeing to price is muy importante, very important. Because you can't acquire stuff when you're still negotiating the price. Because the price may not be to the liking of the seller or the buyer. Therefore, bringing something into the domain of the buyer or into a side area of the public domain works as soon as price was agreed to. Come on, you know, if they're buying and so they say, okay, $3 a pound, that's given. Now, how many pounds is that? Those are details. Even though it was not measured, you have to put it into pound barrels or bags or containers, whatever the deal is. But as long as price has been agreed to, then the fact that he tugged it into his space is in itself enough to acquire. So also, if the buyer measured them in a public domain, takes one pound at a time, two pounds at a time, measures them, then he can actually acquire one pound at a time, one measure at a time, by lifting it, because when you measure, you lift. And remember, we learned, lifting is the best form of acquisition. What if the seller is measuring into the buyer's container? The seller is measuring it and placing it into the buyer's container. The acquisition does not happen. Why? Because it's in a public domain. Because the container of the buyer does not acquire for him. What if the produce was in the domain of the buyer? Okay, it's in the domain of the buyer. This is good. As long as the seller took upon himself to sell, he says, Yes, I'm in. Because it's in the buyer's domain, he acquires. Even though he didn't measure yet. Because the fact that it's in the buyer's domain and they agreed is enough. If it was in the seller's domain, or in the domain of someone appointed by the seller, such as a bailey or what have you, if the buyer does not acquire, until he lifts up the produce. Or until he removes them from the domain of the seller or his agent. There's an easy way to do it. We talked about it earlier. You rent the space. Or similar. As we explained. Zion 7, what if the produce was in the side area of a public domain or in a yard belonging to both buyer and seller? Or even in the domain of the buyer. What is the deal here? The complication is it's in the container of the seller. And the seller accepted upon himself to do this deal, to sell. And the seller began measuring into the utensil of the seller. So what's the problem here? The problem is it's being measured into the utensil of the seller. But the deal is being done. So the measuring will be the if he said to him, I'm selling you a huge weight of a coir. For 30 sella, huge volume. He can retract up to the even in the last measure. Why? Because the produce is still in the seller's container. And he didn't measure all 30 core. And the container of the seller does not acquire for the buyer. Even though it's even in the domain of the buyer. But it is the seller's utensil. And he made up to sell this large amount. So you're not done until you measure out the whole amount. However, there's another way. If you told him, if you get a clear, it'll be 30. But saw, a saw will be sell So they have a price for the breakdown. You know, it's like you go and you rent a car and they tell you it's so much and so much for the week and so much and so much for the day. Then one saw at a time can be acquired. Because the price has been agreed to. For every saw. So call saw. Every time the seller lifts up a saw and <clears throat> pours it into the utensil, it's sold. Because the produce is not in the domain of the buyer, of the seller, or the buyer. However, if we were not talking about the container of the seller, if it was not the container of the seller, being that it's in the domain of the buyer, he required it. As soon as they agreed to price, even though they didn't measure, as we already explained, domain of buyer is in and of itself enough. As long as price has been agreed to. So also, if somebody sells wine or oil to someone else, in the corner of the public domain, or in the yard belonging to both of them, or in the domain of the buyer. 
The measuring utensil belonged to shall to the middle agent. It used to be an agent who is a connector between the seller and the buyer, and it's his measuring tools. So when it's the agent's measuring cup, what is that considered? Sellers or buyers? The answer is yes. Until the measuring container gets full, while you're filling the measuring container, the measuring container represents the domain of the seller, because it's not the selling yet. As soon as it's full, the container of the agent becomes the buyer's. At least representative. It becomes the domain of the buyer. So now the agent's container could acquire for the buyer. And similarly speaking, in nine pedas, produce, piled in the corner of the public domain, or in a yard shared by both of them. And the measuring container belongs to neither of them. And the seller was measuring, actually, while it's still being filled. The same deal. It's in the domain of the seller. Once it's filled, it's in the domain of the buyer. Interesting law in 10. It belonged to one of them. This measuring container. Measuring cup. Like our measuring cups. Let's say it has a small measuring cup. It says two cups, one cup, a half a cup, a quarter cup. It has lines. So this measuring container had different lines. It had marks. So one could know. Shlisha, third, a quarter, or similar. So it has options, breakdowns, lines. As soon as it reaches the first line. So you have a quarter of a cup. He acquires a mission. A quarter at a time. The apple fishing is small. The cup holds many cups. Every mark is considered a separate measure. Because it belongs to one of them. And they depend on these marks. Now the Rambam says a fundamental law which we should all take in. In 11. You should have a very important rule in your hands. This is the principle you must know. That when somebody acquires a portable object. In If he first agrees to price. Let's say I'm buying uh, almonds. Did I agree to the price per pound? Per ton. If the price was agreed to, and then in any situation, the buyer lifts it up, he acquires, because the first hurdle is behind us, price. But if he first lifted it up, <coughs> the buyer lifts up, and lifts up, and puts down, and lifts up, and puts down, and say, okay, so now we have 80 pounds. How much? That's a problem, because before you say how much, there's no deal. And all that lifting up didn't acquire. And then you decide, price. All that lifting up was for the purpose of acquisition wasted. The lifting up only acquires after the price was negotiated. Anybody here sitting at this table, <coughs> any, uh, learning with us, anybody listening to this, anybody studying with us knows that without an agreement and price, there is no sale. Because price is a deal breaker. The same goes for pulling and moving it. It has to be done after price was negotiated. Now, what if there is a set price? What if everyone knows, for example, in our world, you know, there's a price of gold. It is. The price of silver. The price of commodities. If there's a known price, which is accepted in the world that we're dealing with. The item being sold. The commodity. Its price is set. We're doing unknown. That's the deal. It's not negotiable. Big B, and he lifts it up. No, here he acquired it. Why? Because price is not a problem. Even though they agreed to the price afterwards, but the price is a given. The same applies with any other mode of objects which acquire affordable objects, where the acquisition must always be affected after the price. Alien came in less, as we just said, the price is set. Therefore, he gives you an interesting scenario. If somebody invites in, draws in donkey drivers, importers who are carrying produce, they're transporting an interesting type of produce, and the Echisel basically brings it into his house, they're selling whatever it is, expensive perfumes or spices or whatever. In more that actually measures before the deal on price was reached. the buyer was a measurer. Or they did agree to price. The seller was measuring. They can both retract. The purchaser does not acquire the produce by virtue of its having been brought into his house, which is the acquisition of Chotzer, because the produce is being carried by the animals or by the porters of the seller. He explains here, and has not yet been placed in his domain. Procon, but they were unloaded. By how by the buyer. and he brought them in, let's say, into his house. They're not on the donkeys. They're not being held by the porters. If money was agreed to, price was agreed to, and then the seller measured, even if the seller measured, no one can retract. Because the mindset had been by the seller to sell. But if all this measuring took place before price was agreed to, they can both retract. Because they didn't yet agree to sell. Remember, price has not yet been agreed upon. Even if the buyer measured. 
Here's a fascinating law. If a person takes utensils from a craftsman, you ever have somebody trying to sell you something? You say, ah, I, I, don't, I don't know. Just take it, take it. Hold on to it for a day, for two days. It's okay, I trust you. Yeah? <laughs> Be careful. You take stuff from a craftsman. You're going to examine it. You're going to check it out. If the price was set, if it was a fixed price, we know what this cost. And then something out of control, an accident happened while the customer had it in his possession. Who's responsible for that accident? It belongs to the seller. Yeah, but I was looking at it. Yeah, but I didn't buy it. Chayah of the prospective customer, the almost buyer, the guy who was considering buying it, is obligated to pay for it. Somebody came in with, with guns and robbed him. I didn't buy it. Yeah, but you had it. You were examining it. Why? How do I acquire something that I didn't even agree to buying? The answer is number one, because the price is a fixed price. Everyone knows that this is the commodity and this is what it sells for. So at the time you lift it up, it is his. Which you have benefited the school as long as he has a mind to buy the whole thing. Provided that that the item being sold here is something beloved and endeared to the buyer. He wants this. It's not like he's buying a pink elephant. You know, you want to buy a pink elephant? No, I don't want to. I'll sell you two for a cheap price. Ah, okay. He doesn't want a pink elephant. It was just a good price. Here, you need to want the object. But if there's an item that the seller is disgusted by, he just wants to dump it. He's got to get rid of it. And he's looking for every opportunity to get rid of it to sell it. It remains in the domain of the seller. Until the money... The price is decided on, and the buyer lifts it up for the purpose of acquisition, after they agreed. So this case where the guy took it to examine it, and something happens to it, it has to be a set price, and it has to be something that he really wanted. That's my understanding of what the Rambam means here. And finally, the closing paragraph of this chapter. Very important law. We talk about making an acquisition. Who has to make the acquisition? Why, the buyer, of course. Whether we're talking about the buyer acquiring through pulling something, moving it into his domain, or lifting up, or doing something to acquire, such as the items we learned with land, closing, opening, fixing a lock, whatever. Whatever. Whether he does it himself or he instructs someone else to do it on his behalf. Do me a favor, he says to his son or his employee or his friend, pick it up for me. Or pull this for me into my domain. Or establish ownership, manifest ownership, take possession. An agent or a proxy does acquire the object on his behalf because you can absolutely appoint an agent to do a kinyan. The same applies to any other mode of acquisition. End of chapter 4. Rambam, Mishneh Torah, The laws of Mechira, selling, selling and buying, gifting. Paid hay, chapter 5. Now, before we get into chapter 5, and I'm just doing this off the cuff by memory, we've covered the following list of possible forms of kinyan, of acquisition. When it came to real estate, we talked about kesef money, shtar, contract, chazoka, doing an act that affects possession, such as fixing or locking or broadening or correcting. We talked about the favorite amongst movable objects, hagbo, hagbo, to lift up. We talked about mishicha, to draw in one form or another, to pull the animal or what have you, or direct it to go. We talked about mesira, handing over the reins, or the rope of a boat. We talked about Kenyan Agav, acquiring one object along with, by virtue of acquiring another. I'm sure we talked about more, but these are various forms of acquisitions which we have covered just off the cuff. Today, now, in chapter 5, we're about to get into what is probably the most well-known form of acquisition. And he starts with the raw form, and then he gets to the more symbolic form, which is what everyone knows today. Hey, chapter 5, Aleph 1, call on the The principle of this form of acquisition is that anything that moves could be acquired by an exchange. I'll give you my object, and I acquire your object. Ketzad, for example, hechlif parabachamer. If the business deal being done is there's an exchange of cow for donkey. A yain wine for oil. I have wine, you have oil, I have cow, you have donkey. Even though the cow does not have the identical value to the donkey, the wine and the oil are not identical value. I owe you something, you owe me something. They already discussed, you know, how much the cow is worth, how much the donkey is worth. I owe you, or whatever the deal is. So the deal is done. The monies have been discussed, because that's an issue of great importance, as we learned earlier. And then they exchanged. I'll give you my cow, you give me your donkey. Well, what's the issue? Ah, the issue is that the donkey is in Cuba, together with the cigars. 
being that one of them pulled the object close to him, being that one of them lifted the portable object, if it's a box of cigars or whatever. As long as one of them tugged, pulled the item into his domain, or lifted the item. The other guy acquired, the other movable objects, this is the key word, wherever they are. It doesn't matter where the second item is. Because this is called Kinyan Chalipin, an acquisition via exchange. Even though he didn't, even though he doesn't pull it, because that's the power of this form of Kinyan. Moving right along, base. What if the exchange here is? I give you donkey, you give me cow and sheep, because my donkey is the Colt Alfredo, very expensive. And the fellow pulls the cow, which is half the deal, because remember, it was donkey for cow plus sheep. He pulls the cow, but did not yet move the sheep toward him. Like Kona, he doesn't acquire the donkey. Where's the donkey in Cuba? But he only pulled half the deal. He only acquired the cow, not the other half. Remember, it's donkey for cow sheep. It's the complete act of acquisition of Mashiach. They're all similar things. You've got to do the whole deed. So that's when there is item for item, movable item for movable item. And this is a law that is ordained. Whereas, what if it was money for item? It works differently. That's not the acquisition of exchange. That's the acquisition of money. Now he says, don't what if we're talking about money, but no one is concerned with the amount of money, for example. Now he gives the example. The money in this case, the coins become like any other object, which is portable and movable, but they acquire. Case for example. A fellow takes his hand, puts it in his drawer, pulls out a bunch of coins. It's a mixed drawer of coins. Takes a bunch of coins and he says, here, sell me your cow or your wine or whatever for whatever is in my hand. Elenitolon, the language he uses here is Achsura, an approximate. He doesn't know what's there, but you know what? It's fine. The Yomalayin, he told him, Sell me your cow. You know, that's like the guy who's asked if he'll trade it for what's behind door number three. You know? A Yayin, or sell me your wine. The Elu with this, whatever's in my palm, all these coins. There could be very expensive coins. They could be filled with pennies. Who knows? But you know what? It doesn't matter because on an average, it's going to average out, I guess. But no, Sandoyas Adom, he gave him the money. Kona, he does acquire. Why? Because this is not considered money. This is considered object. Money is money when you count it. When you don't count it, it becomes object. And neither can retract independently without the other. Why? Because we learned earlier that by Torah law, money acquires movable objects. It is the sages that created a decree that it shouldn't. We learned the reason why as well. In case you will sell me your object, but not deliver it, I paid for it, and then a fire breaks out, and you run for everything else, you say, it's not my object, I don't have to save it. So our sages created a rule that says you don't acquire until you have delivery. But in this case, this is an unusual situation. Unusual situations usually don't have the application of special ordinances. So our sages did not require the actual pulling of the item for acquisition. Here's the deal. Rube, Mr. A, sold movable objects to Shimon, Mr. B, for 50 zoos. Shimon made an acquisition. Now has these movable objects. As we learned earlier, once you have a deal on price, which they have, 50 zoos, and Shimon acquired it. So now what Shimon has is a debt. He has to pay for it, but it's already his. He has to pay the money. Now Shimon owes Ruben 50 zoos. So that's an obligation that Shimon has to Ruben. I owe you 50 zoos. Shimon had wine. Shimon had an animal, a cow, the Ebed, or he had a servant. Or anything else that's considered a portable object. Anything else movable. And Shimon wants to sell that object. He wants to sell his cow. So Ruben said to Shimon, I'll tell you what, I've got the perfect solution. You owe me 50 zoos. Sell me the object that I want, or the objects that I want. For 50 zoos. Which I have. I have in your pocket 50 zoos. You owe me 50 zoos. What kind of 50 zoos? Well, that's the money of the sale we did previously. So Shimon says, that's a good idea. Hey, we miss you. Yes. Ruben now acquires in the movable object, wherever it is. In this case, even though he didn't pull the object to him, but he didn't lift the object up. What did he do? He bought it because Shimon owed him a debt. Now, how does that work? The answer is it works because money acquires except for the rabbinic ordinance. This is also something very unusual. So our sages did not enact this ordinance. That is only if the deal all took place now. Ah, well, however, but if Shimon owed him money from a million years ago, from last week, 
having nothing to do with a recent sale. And Ruben says to Shimon, listen, Shimon, Shimon, you owe me money. Let me buy your cow. We all agree that you owe me money, 50 zoos. Sell me your cow for the 50 zoos. We don't such name. And they both agree it's a terrific idea. Like Connery doesn't require actually until he lifts it up. Or if it can't be lifted up, which we learned earlier is the best form of acquisition, he has to pull it towards him. That's another form. A Yiknari should acquire it. One of the manners which portable objects, movable objects can be acquired. Why? Because it's a new exchange, it's a new obligation, and there has to be a form of acquisition here. You can't just do an oral deal. Whereas earlier, it was a fresh deal that was just done. Now, the Rambam tells us that which we've all been waiting for. Hakarkois, land. We have other men servants. We have behemoth and animals who shout on the top and anything else that moves. Every one of the above. Nikna can be acquired with a new kingdom we're introducing right now. Called Bachalipin, the kingdom of Chalipin, which means simply exchange. This kingdom of Chalipin is also referred to by some as Kenyan, just the generic word Kenyan. How does Kenyan Chalipin work? The main thrust of this mode of acquisition is not earlier because the donkey is worth the same as the cow, as the cow plus the sheep. No, that was an exchange of items of equal value. Here, we segue into a more of a symbolic form of acquisition. And that's what we're used to. When you get married, the person who performs the ceremony gives you a handkerchief and says, lift this up. You accept upon yourself to follow all the commitments or you sell your comments, the rabbi might say to you, lift this up, I give you my handkerchief, you give me power of attorney. What, what is this? And then, <laughs> then the rabbi takes the handkerchief back. How do you like that? Yes, this is called symbolic khalifa. So many people ask me, what is this all about? That's because they didn't learn this rambam. The Yehimalei, and he should say to him, you acquired this item, Chalip, as an exchange for Hechotzer, the courtyard which you're selling me. You're selling me a million dollar courtyard, I'm giving you a two dollar handkerchief. It's a fair deal. You know the wine, I have the animal, I have the servant, which you sold me for millions. The handkerchief I bought in Costco, in a case. Kimashid Biyamechadasakli, being that the seller picked up whatever that item was, the handkerchief, the utensil, the Konohu, and he acquired it, as I usually say to people, lift it up, 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 up. Of course, you want to do maybe, some people say, the best form of acquisition, and that's lifting up. Because acquired it, the buyer now acquired this massive piece of Beverly Hills real estate, a big condominium project. A those movable objects, a million sheep, lots of wool. even though he didn't pull them, he didn't acquire them, he didn't perform the king called Mishicha, he didn't pay money. Nobody could retract, change their minds unilaterally. Why? Because of this Kenyan of Chalipin. What is Chalipin? Exchange. Exchange of what? It doesn't make sense. The value is totally off the wall. It's not about value. Again, that's the most popular known Kenyan that today's world knows. In Kenyan Elbikalim, we only acquire using a portable object, a utensil, a vessel. The vessel, the utensil, does not even have to be worth the lowest coin. For example, you use a handkerchief. How much would a handkerchief be? Let's say there's a handkerchief that was purchased wholesale. It's less than a penny. It works. Why? Because the handkerchief is only symbolic. Furthermore, one cannot use a tool for acquisition if that item is forbidden to benefit from. For example, certain things in Torah are forbidden even to benefit from. Not only to eat, but to benefit from. A classical example is chametz on Pesach. Chametz on Pesach, a Jew cannot benefit from. You can't use chametz. You can't use your French toast as a form of acquisition. Or milk and meat that are together. Your cheeseburger. Cheeseburgers are not allowed to be cooked, eaten, and even benefited from. So you can't use your cheeseburger as a form of acquisition. Related payers, you can't use produce. Produce. Although produce, we learned earlier, can be used to affect an exchange of one type of article for another, it's not effective as a symbolic form of exchange. That's why handkerchief, or in the rabbinic world, you know what's a, a, a very popular, is the gartle. That's similar to a handkerchief here. That's what people use to place around themselves uh, in preparation for prayer. Again, we're talking symbolic. And with my display of gartle, I lost my place. Oh, here we are. In Canaan, I believe not You don't use coins. Because when a coin is used, it's looked at as currency. Then Canaan, the Kelly Shalmecha, furthermore, it should not be the object of the seller, rather the object of the buyer. It should be the object of the buyer. Now, what if the buyer what, what if the buyer didn't have an object? Somebody gave an object to the seller in order in order that the buyer should acquire this. So there's like, like, like a rabbi could be at a wedding saying, anybody have a handkerchief? 
What do you mean anybody? Where's your handkerchief? Doesn't have to be my handkerchief. Zohar lekayach the buyer acquires yapafifikle Furthermore, even though the object which was used for acquisition was given on, I'll say the word loan, but it's not true. It's not a loan. It's a gift on the condition that the gift be returned. Nikna mikach the deal is done. The acquisition is effect is effective. Zohar lekayach the buyer acquires it. Because in halacha, a gift that is given on the condition that it will be returned, shmo matona is considered a gift. Classical example of that on Sukkot, the esrog and the lulav have to belong to the person who says the bracha. But we see that people let you use their esrog because it's understood. It's a given. That when somebody lets you use their esrog they're giving it to you as a gift on the condition that you return it. Many other examples in Allah. Furthermore, even if the seller does not take hold of the entire utensil that was transferred to him in exchange of his merchandise, let's say you're using this gartel. So he grabs the end. Well, you got to just pick. No, you don't have to. It's more symbolic. That's why I say some people say lift it up. You do lift it up. You don't lift it up. It's symbolic. Sure, it's better to lift it up, but you know, whatever. Again, we don't. Make final halachic decisions from the Rambam. I'm giving you the Rambam's view here. The Ochaz Hamakne Leibitzosi, the one who is transferring it to him, is holding it, and they're still holding it. Both of them, the buyer acquires, which Ochaz Menachem this year clear, as long as he held at least the minimum size of a utensil, which we're going to define. Or he's holding it to the extent that he is able to pull the entire object from the hands of the person transferring. So he's got to have something. The Fika, practically speaking, if he transferred with only using a portion of a garment, he has to hold of the garment, the minimum size of three finger breaths. You know where we learned this extensively in the laws of agriculture, in the laws of purity and impurity. Because if he will let go from that place, it's independent. That's the minimum. He has to be holding three by three. Because three fingers of a garment is already called an independent utensil. As we explained at great length earlier, in the laws of the impurity of garments. So also if he held less than the three finger breaths, and he could pull away this whole utensil, even though it's smaller than three finger breaths, but it can be used as a handle to talk the whole thing. He acquires it. A finger breath is 0.79 of an inch. So three finger breaths are a little less than two and a half inches by two and a half inches. Okay. Now, the Rambam goes on to say that which certain people may be wondering. Is that which is written in documents. And we made a symbolic acquisition with so-and-so. Using a utensil that's kosher. Bikli, why do we use the word kli utensil? Well, he paid us to exclude fruits, which produce, which we learned earlier is not good. Okay, it's about ha kosher, that is kosher, what's not kosher? Something that you can't have benefit from, as we learned earlier. Well, to exclude, he said, that which you can benefit from, to acquire with it. To exclude, if it's the utensil of the seller, because it has to be the utensil of the buyer, even if somebody gives it to him. Okay, now, for example, at weddings, when we do this symbolic acquisition, where, for example, we take responsibility for performance, we usually have two witnesses there. We say to the witnesses, hey, look. In fact, some people say it should belong to the witness, the witness should do it. So he says, Zahakin, in this acquisition, this symbolic acquisition called Kenyan, does not have to be before witnesses. Does not. Elo, however, if it was just between the two of them, the acquisition works. Why? Because, and here the Rambam lays down an important principle. When it comes to criminal offenses, you need witnesses. Testimony. Eyewitness. When it comes to business, you don't need witnesses to affect the transaction. You just need witnesses to testify there were a transaction if somebody said there wasn't. But it doesn't affect it. It doesn't make it happen. The Torah does not require witnesses when it comes to all financial matters. What do you mean it doesn't require? Well, it does. When somebody denies it, it ever happened. Lend me a, a million dollars. Okay, here. There was no witnesses. I never, I don't know who you are. That's not smart. But it's not like the witnesses affect the transaction. Transaction is identical with or without witnesses. The question is, is it collectable? It's a different world. A different world. Somebody who sells. Somebody who gives a gift. Somebody who rents. Somebody who loans. You go to Hertz to rent the car. You need witnesses. You don't need witnesses. Being at the purchaser, the buyer, or the one who acquired, does one of the acts of acquisition, whether it's lifting up, which is the best, or pulling torches, or handing over the rope or the reins, or what we call Kenyan, which is Khalif in this exchange, Kenyan, or money, or contract, or doing something that shows acquisition, such as fixing, repairing, locking, breaching of real estate, although there are no witnesses. You don't need witnesses to affect possession. Now, we learned earlier that when it comes to real estate, in some places, they always have documents, contracts. That's because they're smart. But you don't need it to effect the acquisition. It's just smart to have. But if there is a 
custom that you do need it. We learned earlier you do need it. You and Amalekha Lai should come to the seller or the donor with whom a Kenyan, this acquisition symbolic act was done. Yes, Either one of them, either the seller or the buyer, either the donor or the recipient can be tracked as long as they're still engaged in this proposition, in this deal. Even though they made this acquisition in front of witnesses, done deal. Well, we're still engaged in this deal. So you know what? I changed my mind. That's okay. Buyer's remorse, seller's remorse. It's okay in the Kenyan of Khalipin as long as they're still in this negotiation. But it was brought to an end, Mazeltov, they said the Chaim, and they went to the next item on the agenda. Neither of them could retract on their own, unilaterally. A deal is a deal. Just as the seller and the donor, the seller is in the case where there's money, a donor is when you give somebody a gift. Just as the seller and the donor could retract unilaterally if the deal has not yet been put to bed, so also the buyer and the recipient. As long as they are engaged in that deal. Not so with all other forms of acquisition. This is unique. And as long as you're still doing the deal, retraction is possible. You know, sometimes somebody gives you a gift, and then it turns out to be a very expensive gift. Better be careful when you take gifts. You now, yes, Now that Rambam points out something very interesting, there are many aspects of life that do not require a kinyan. There's no reason to make this symbolic acquisition, even though many people do it. For example, during the time that people owned servants, when somebody liberates a servant, he frees his slave. That's a good thing. Does he need a kinyan? No. What you need when you free a slave is a get, a bill of divorce. That's a requirement by Torah law. Hey, when a marriage ends, you don't require a kinyan. Or somebody appoints a proxy, a messenger, to represent him. You don't need a kinyan. Or somebody files a protest. Somebody goes to court and says, you know, I heard a sale took place. I heard that Moshe sold Chaim, the Brooklyn Bridge. It's my bridge. My name's Brooklyn. Or waves a colleague's obligation. I'm sorry. Or nullifies a protest. There's a protest and then he nullifies it. Or waves an obligation for someone else. He's his proxy to waive the obligation. All the above does not require a kinyan. Now he says, On the other hand, many, many people, many places have the custom that they do make a kinyan, a symbolic kinyan, for the following list, or, or for, the, for the above matters. And they say, And we have made a kinyan. We have made a symbolic acquisition. We from so-and-so. She also plenty of that he appointed so-and-so as his proxy. Or he forgave his debt. Or he waived the protest. He nullified the protest. Which he first lodged about this divorce or what have you. It's not necessary. It doesn't hurt, is what he's saying. You know, it's very common during litigation. When two litigants go to a bed-din, that the bed-din makes a kinyan with the two litigants, that they accept the, uh, the ruling of the bed-din. It's another form of kinyan. The fact that the above list, some people have a custom to make a kinyan, it doesn't really do anything. It just informs, it's informative. That he's not saying these things as a joke. As a mockery. He's not being facetious, but he really made a firm decision in his heart. And then he said, he decided in his heart and then verbalized it. If he said, what I'm saying now is with my complete heart, I'm not being facetious. Because and I have made a firm decision, an intelligent decision. I have firmly decided, last is to do this, and it's all there would be no need for a kinyan. Now he says in the closing paragraph of chapter 5, when there are objects, acts that are meaningless, and a kinyan doesn't help. A kinyan doesn't help solidify something that's not a solid thing. Ketan, for example, somebody writes in a document, we made a kinyan from so and so, that he's going to enter into a business deal in plainly with so and so. And we made a kinyan. You know what? I agreed to go into a business deal with so-and-so, and I changed my mind. I don't want to go into a business deal. The kinyan doesn't help. That they'll divide a courtyard between them. So they're going to business together in a craft. Okay, it's a bit of a little or all the above. Now, it's good to keep your word. If you give somebody your word, you should keep it. But the kinyan doesn't help, doesn't do anything. It's called a kinyan over a verbal commitment. Words and kinyan don't really go together. It doesn't help. Because a kinyan means that I give you my handkerchief, you give me your field, you give me your horse, you give me your something. You give me your word, but you should keep your word anyway. Specifically, Iker, 
he doesn't convey any entity itself, any produce itself. He's just conveying a commitment which is merely verbal. Therefore, a Kenyan doesn't really help. And in many situations in, in the world we live in, a Kenyan has become more symbolic than anything else. But of course, it has very firm connotations of halacha as well. End of chapter 5. Rambam, Mishneh Torah, Hilcha, is the laws of Mechira, selling. Perek Bob, chapter 6. In chapter 5, we learned about Kinyan, Chalipin, the form of acquisition of exchange. We learned about real exchange, a donkey for a cow, and we also learned about symbolic exchange. You take a utensil, a container, some type of vessel, a handkerchief, you give it, and that acts as an exchange for the item you want to acquire. And we learned earlier in chapter 5 that the only object that can be used for this type of kinyan is a utensil of sorts, not fruit or produce, and not currency or coins. Those are some of the knots we learned in chapter 5, paragraph 6. Now he expounds on that. Aleph 1, hapeiris, any form of produce, food. Even though you cannot act that, use that as the acting utensil for acquisition, because it's not a utensil, it's produce. As we explained earlier, however, produce can still be acquired with a king in Chalipin, with this exchange kingdom, like any other movable object. The produce cannot be used as a symbolic kingdom to acquire, but it can be acquired, which means if I give you a handkerchief, you can give me your produce. Currency coins, coins, just as you cannot use it for the symbolic kingdom of Chalipin, of exchange, coins can also not be acquired with a kingdom. So I cannot give you a handkerchief and acquire your coins. Why? Because coins are currency, and currency is stuff you pay stuff for. You pay for stuff. Ninsa, so what we see here is that Hamadiyya, that coins and currency, is not acquired with this whole idea of kingdom. It's not the way to acquire. So if, you, if I want to sell you a wheelbarrow of coins, you have to lift it, pull it, do some other kingdom with it. And it itself does not, cannot be used for a kingdom to acquire other articles. And he explains that the logic behind this law is, is that when we look at coins, we see money. When we look at money, we see value. So we look at buying rather than symbolism. It's too real. Now, he says, what about what about slabs of gold and silver? Can they be used for this chalipin? He says, they could be viewed like any other slabs, like pieces of raw iron, pieces of copper. What's the difference between iron, copper, silver, or gold? They're slabs, they're not coins. They should be treated like all other movable objects. And they can be acquired, using a kinyan, which means I can give you my handkerchief and acquire your gold slab, because I am acquiring it, or it can be acquired in a fair exchange. I'll give you my gold slab, you'll give me so many, so many of your silver slabs. Kamesh Shabiano, as we explained earlier. So the gold slab and the silver slab is not a coin. It's not currency. Currency, coins. Shall Kesev of silver, or dinarin. This was a Talmudic form of a coin, called a dinar. Shells of gold. The quote Alfredo, very, very expensive. Hey, Hamois, or the coins from the Cheshire of copper. Obviously, gold is the most precious coin. Silver is less precious. Copper is far less precious, but they're all coins. If they're coins, they're currency, they're money. And they can only be used corresponding to other movable objects. And if he uses one of them for money of the value of the movable objects, that act, Lekona does not acquire, as we learned earlier. There's a rabbinic decree that money should not acquire movable objects. But delivery has to acquire it. Until he draws it towards him into his possession, or he lifts it up, as we explained, none of these are acquired with the Kenyan. We learned earlier that the Expression Kenyan refers to this exchange of Khalipin. They cannot become a Kenyan. They are coins and they are currency. Now he says, When he's acquiring other forms of movable objects using these coins, he's acquiring other servants, but assuming he's acquiring coin for coin, if he's using a gold dinner, relative to silver coins, they should be viewed like produce. So also, 
copper or brass coins. should be like produce, relative to silver coins. And let me explain where the Rambam is coming from. Commentaries explain. What the Rambam is saying is the most common currency coin is silver. Gold is a very unusual choice because it's so precious. Copper is a very unusual choice. You don't buy a house and pay for it with pennies. You need too many pennies. You don't buy a cow and pay for it with pennies, nor do you pay with gold. You use silver because that's the common currency. Therefore, when I use my silver currency to acquire gold, the gold could be acquired because it's more of a commodity than a currency. Or when I use my silver coinage to acquire brass, it could also be acquired because it's more of a commodity than a currency. That's the key to this teaching, and here he illustrates in Dalit for example, if somebody gives, Mr. A gives Mr. B a gold dinner for 25 silver dinners, which is about the value that he's pegging here, he acquires the silver. Even though he doesn't have the silver yet, the obligation kicks in, he has to pay 25 dinners of kesef, as he agreed. If they were new, he has to give new dinners. If they're old, he has to give you There is an opinion that says old is preferable to new. But if he gave, 25 silver dinner for one gold dinner. Lake Connie does not acquire. Achika Hadina shows up until he actually takes possession of the gold dinner. They can all retract because the Chalipin does not work in this direction. <coughs> Similarly, hey, if a person gave a colleague 30 Isar of copper coins for a dinner of silver, the dinner of silver is acquired. He has to honor his commitment. In dinner, he has to give new. But if he gave a silver dinner for 30 Isar of copper, Lake Connie doesn't acquire. Achika Hadina shows up until he takes delivery and actually makes a Kenyan. On the brass copper, they can all retract. A similar example is bad currency. Even in our world, sometimes currency is recalled by the government. They say, collect all the old things and, right? Certainly back then, when things aged and chipped. Where the government says they're no longer fit for currency, or the country, or that can't be used in that country, like Canadian money in America or American money in Canada. You can't do business with them until you go to an exchange center and exchange it. It should be approached as produce for all practical purposes. It could be acquired with a Kenyan of Khalipin just like produce. You can acquire the coins, but the coins cannot be used for acquisition. Because our sages say, when you pay for something, you have to take possession of it. It's like all other produce. Now we learn something interesting. We learned much earlier that one of the forms of Kenyan is called Agav. What is Agav? By virtue of, classical example, in chapter 3 he talks about it, chapter 3, Halacha 8, that if I sell you real estate, Agav, the real estate, on top of the real estate, I can also have you acquire kamquats or tomatoes or anything I want to. Because you take it with the real estate. And we learned earlier that in certain situations, that which you're acquiring with the real estate could be in another country. It doesn't have to be on the real estate. Now he says, There's no way that a person can acquire a coin that's not in his physical possession. If I have a coin or many coins, I'm in California, my coins are in New Jersey. I can do this as an extension of an acquisition of real estate. Again, for example, the acquisition is made upon real estate. We learned earlier how you do a real estate acquisition. Kesef, money, star, contract, or chazoka, or doing something like fixing and broadening and correcting and so on. So, on top of the real estate was, was money, in other words, by virtue of the acquisition of real estate, you also acquire coins. So that's called Kenyan Agav. That works even though the coins are not physically on the real estate. There's another way, and that is you rent the place where the real estate are, where the coins are. So, for example, if the coins are in my room, in my house in New Jersey, by the way, I don't have a house in New Jersey right now, so that would be a problem. But assuming I had one, then I can rent you my room. Renting is a form of acquiring real estate. Being that the person acquires the real estate, because of, with the three forms that real estate can be acquired, enumerated in chapter one, which is with money, a or contract, and some places require both. A or with an act of acquisition and possession, a or making a form of a kinyan, which is halipin, which we're talking about in this chapter in the last one, zochav He also acquires the coins, which provided they exist, they can't exist in theory. There's a story told of a man who always lectured about how important it is to be kind and warm and loving to children. Children are our greatest possession, and one day he put new cement in front of his house. And the neighborhood kids were jumping and dancing in the cement and making a mess. And he's yelling at the kids, get out of the cement! So the neighbor walks over and he says, Professor, you've always lectured about how important children are, how we have to love them and be gentle with them. He says, I love children in theory, not in concrete. 
So the money can't exist merely in theory, in the abstract. What, what do we mean when we talk about money existing in the abstract? Just a second, as they say. We'll find out. You can acquire the money on top of the real estate if the money is somewhere. Somewhere under the rainbow. What if Ruben has a debt to collect from Shimon? Mr. A has a debt to collect from Mr. B. Which means Shimon owes Ruben money. Where is the money that Shimon owes Ruben? Only God knows. It may not even be. It's just a debt. So that's a theoretical abstract existence of money. So Ruben has a debt at Shimon. The Hikna the Levi Karka. He gives Levi. Person number three he gives him some real estate. The Algaba. And by virtue of this real estate. Real estate. Agab. He says, you can also have the obligation that Shimon has to me. I'm giving you that as well. Nearly, it appears to be that he doesn't acquire this obligation. Why? Because it's not concrete. The money is not sitting anywhere. It's an obligation in theory. Theory cannot be acquired. That's the point. And by the way, there is a principle in halacha, which we'll learn in the laws of lending and borrowing. The principle says, When somebody borrows money from someone or lends money to someone, you don't expect the guy to keep the money in the safe. That's not what you borrow money for. What do you do with a loan? The answer is you spend it. And there is an obligation to create new funds. I don't need to print it because I can get you arrested. And to repay the obligation. So therefore, don't think for a minute that the money exists. It exists only in the abstract, not in the concrete. Now the Rambam tells us a different scenario. There's three people sitting. Three people standing. Ruben, Shimon, and Levi. Mo, Larry, and Curly. Manny, Mo, and Jack. Three people standing. And he said to him, one said to B, A said to B. Ruben says to Shimon, You owe me $100. Whether it's because Ruben gave it to Shimon to watch. Or Ruben lent it to Shimon and Shimon owes it. He says, do me a favor, Shimon. Today, give it to Levi. So Mr. A says to Mr. B, you owe me $100. I am instructing you, first possible opportunity, give it to Levi. Here, the Maimed Shloshim, and all three of them are there. Kona Levi. Levi does acquire that debt. And no one, none of the three, could retract unilaterally. Why? Because, and that's what the Rambam explains at the end of paragraph 8, the Torah, our sages, told us this, declared this, instituted this, there's no logical application to this. It is because it is, like my mother of blessed memory used to say, when she told me to do something. And I said, why? She said, because... I said, because what? She said, because cows fly. Why? Because cows fly. I never saw a cow fly, but that's what my mother always said. In other words, our sages instituted that this system works. Why? Because cows fly. So who cares? Well, the application is that we can't logically apply it to anything else because it's a standalone law. What if Ruben, and this is a very interesting law, which is a problem. What if Ruben, Mr. A, owed Shimon, Mr. B, $100 or a million dollars? And he said to Mr. C, who's a stranger, you know what, this guy Shimon, he's been driving me crazy. Give him $100 that I owe. Do it for me. I'll give it to you. I'll work it out with you. You owe me, I owe you. We'll, we'll figure it out. We're friends. The young lady lady says, yes, sir. Done. The Kibo Shimon, Shimon says, okay. Or as they say in French, back off. You know what? Nothing really happened here. All three of them can retract. Unilaterally. Even if Mr. C. Levy gave a little bit to Shimon to begin to do what Ruben asked him to do, to pay off the obligation, it doesn't matter. There's no way that this can actually take effect. The people, therefore, in late part of Levi, Shimon, Levi did not pay off Shimon. So Shimon still is out the money. Shimon goes back to Ruben and he drives him crazy and makes him insane until he pays the money. And Ruben can't say this. And I assigned this to Levi. You didn't assign it to Levi. You can't assign. You said to Levi, do me a favor and pay him. And he didn't pay me. Have a good day. The plot tickets. Yud, you know, today there's a big business. You buy notes. You know, somebody borrows money from somebody or from a bank. There's an obligation, a million dollars. A million dollars is nothing because today is billions. A piddly sum of a million dollars. And somebody comes in and they buy the notes at a discount. Because they're not collecting the money tomorrow. So they pay $800,000 on a note. And it's transferred. And it's real. In America. Not in halacha. What's the problem in halacha? If somebody sells a promissory note to another. Or somebody comes. Mr. A comes to Mr. B and says, listen, do me a favor. You're my father. Give me a gift. He says, I'll give you a gift. Here's a promissory note. And he gives him the note. Or he sells him the note. So do I have a note? Am I now owed a million dollars? No. Because nothing was conveyed here. 
there was no legal conveyance. You know what was conveyed? The proof of the obligation was, was conveyed. What is a note? A note is proof of obligation. But you didn't convey the obligation. You didn't have tools to convey the obligation. You just conveyed the proof of the obligation. That's what a note is. The ain't haroya dispenses beyond. The problem in halacha is, is there's no way that a proof could actually transfer an obligation. A promissory note is proof that I owe you. How do you transfer this note? That's the problem. So how do I purchase or sell or give or acquire a promissory note? You now have 11 the gates of Yitzhak So how indeed can this be acquired? So he says there is a method. What's the method? That the seller or the grantor must write. Acquire this note. And all obligations that come along with it. And I, I don't know, but I would imagine in America there's probably a similar language. And now he gives him the document. So what happens is, it was now acquired through writing of a contract and giving, which is another form of acquisition. Now the question is, are witnesses required for this? He says no. Because we've learned that in matters of business, you don't require witnesses for it to happen. You may require witnesses to be able to collect. If you're going to go collect, you better have witnesses. Because the creditor can always say, Who says that my creditor, debtor, who says that the guy I owe money to, wrote this document? Prove it to me. That's where witnesses come in. Again, we talked about the fact that there's a big difference between issues of crime or transgression, where witnesses' testimony make it a reality, or business, where witness testimony just helps you collect. The reality is either there or not there. Yudbeis, Kinyan, Ashtoris, Bedera, Chazais, the acquisition of promissory notes as described above in 11, Midibre Seifrin, is a rabbinic decree, rabbinic ordinance. Abomina Peira, but by Torah law, and Horoyus Nikneis. Proof, documents cannot be acquired. Elaguf, Hadabal Bavakono, you know what you acquire when you acquire a promissory note? The paper it's written on. A quarter of a penny. On some documents it says, the value of this note is only. Therefore, if somebody sells a promissory note to his friend, here's the scary part. I can sell here, my producer Daniel, I can sell him a promissory note, which Jack owes to me. Jack borrowed from me a million dollars. You remember that day, right? You don't remember. No soup for you. Jack borrowed a million dollars from me. I have a note. I sell the note, or I give the note to Danny. I sell it to him. I'm discounted. You know what the tragedy is? Being that I'm only selling him a piece of paper, I can then say to Jack, you know what, you're a good guy. I forgive it. What do you mean you forgive it? You sold it. Well, that's between me and Danny. That's the problem. Adayin, Yochelim, he can still forgive it. Even the heir in an estate could forgive. So you got to be careful when you buy stuff. Anybody could forgive it later. And that's scary. Whereas in a marriage, it's different. A woman who brings in into her marriage a promissory note. Now that she's married, she can't do it unilaterally. Her husband has to be in the deal. Because her hand is like his hand. Somebody conveys real estate to his buddy. And along with the real estate, by virtue of it, King and Agav, he has him acquire also a promissory note. And he's a Karnash Abba who he can acquire the note wherever it may be. But like Sibo, without writing, without conveying, because it's Agav, it's on top of the real estate, no matter where it is. And now the Ramam uses an expression that he uses when it's his opinion. It appears to me, that even this kind of conveyance could be forgiven, even after it was sold. Again, it complicates life. So also, if somebody sells real estate because of Ashtar, he writes the document, then the buyer's not there, as long as the buyer does something to acquire the real estate, as we learned in chapter 1, the promissory note is also acquired even if it's somewhere else. Tesvah 15. If somebody tells a colleague, I want you to take possession of this field, like we learned in chapter 1, put a lock on it, broaden it, correct it, fix it. Do, take, take possession of this field for so-and-so. And then compose a deed of title for him. We learned earlier that real estate is acquired in three manners, or sometimes it's better to have all three. One of them is money, the other one is documentation, the other one is doing something to it. So here we're talking about documentation and doing something to it. And the one who acquired did it. He did something to that real estate. The conveyor, the one who conveys, can regret, can retract this document until it reaches the hand of the person he is taking it on his behalf for. Even though he can't retract the conveyance of the field, but he can retract the promissory note. Acquire for him. 
through this field, Almanas on the condition with a stipulation that you also write this promissory note for this deed of title. Even though he made this chazoka, this acquisition in the field, you can actually retract either until the document of gift reaches the recipient of this gift. End of chapter six.